So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Haggai. Join me, please, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. We're going to continue the series on Haggai, and remember to pray for John for next Sunday. Audrey and I will be leaving uh, Tuesday morning and heading to Texas to visit Audrey's mom, so we would encourage you to pray for us as we travel. Praise team, you can get with John, find out what his sermon is. By the way, there's no Sunday school today, and there's no Sunday school next Sunday because next Sunday's Father's Day. So, uh, John, you won't have to worry about Sunday school. So, uh, uh, any, anyway, Haggai chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Last week we looked at heart matters. And the prophet told the people of Israel to consider their ways two times, once in chapter uh, verse 5 and one in verse 7. And if you remember, consider is not just thinking. It refers to the heart. Ways is obviously the path in which we follow. So uh, it is what Haggai was telling them to do was look inward, but also look outward at how your life is. And that's pretty good, pretty good advice. Uh, Jesus said, it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceedeth out of the mouth that defiles the man. And then in 7 and 8, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, the prophet challenged the people to begin rebuilding the temple. The ultimate purpose of that in verse 8 was that God would be pleased and that God would be glorified. So today we're going to look at listening to the Lord. And we want to first note, Sin has consequences. In verse 9, we see the issue. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. So what had happened was, when the people were released from Babylonian captivity at the hands of the Persians, the Persians had gone in and liberated the nation of Israel. King Darius was now on the throne, and at that point, Israel had not had a king in some 70 plus years. And so King Darius, we learned from Ezra, that was told by God to let the nation of Israel go home and release them and let them start rebuilding the temple. Well, what happened was the nation of Israel did start. They temporarily built an altar and they laid the foundation. But then in Ezra chapter 4, which is connected to Haggai, we realize and learn that the nation stopped. Even though they were under a mandate from God to go home, and the first thing that they were supposed to do was to establish the temple. That was decimated, by by the way. The Babylonians had destroyed it, and and we went through some statistics on Israel. How many times Israel has been attacked? How many times the temple had been destroyed? So you would think that the people as they have been in Babylonian captivity and as they return home, you would think that the people would bask in God's grace and that they would get busy and active doing what God had called them to do. And they did initially, but then something happened and they stopped work on the temple. We, you know, we we have a tendency to think, well, we wouldn't have done that. Well, maybe, (laughs) maybe not. Maybe not. 
Dave Walker isn't here today, but we have a lot of fill, we have a lot of spots to fill for ministry here. So I would like to encourage you to become involved in the work of our church. The people had high expectations when they returned home. He was their God. God would bless them. Surely God wouldn't mind if if we just set up the altar and we laid the foundations and then we started working on our own homes. Surely God would bless that. That was not the mandate that was given to King Darius and the nation of Israel. The issue was to go home and complete the temple. Then they would be free to go about doing their own homes. Haggai writes, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Now, this is an interesting, uh, this, this is an interesting phrase here, blew away. It's nafa. The Hebrew word is nafa. And it means to blow. So the issue here is that God was the one that blew it away. And when you look at the Old Testament, you think of the threshing floor. Right here is the threshing floor where the grain would be crushed, and then it would come over here to the winning, the winnowing. And they would throw what was crushed up in the air, and the chaff would be blown away, and what fell to the ground was the good stuff, the good wheat. And so what I think Haggai is saying here is that what you've done is all being blown away and nothing good has fallen. And so the reason that this was happening is because the nation of Israel had failed to start work on the temple, <clears throat> actually to rebuild the temple. Sin has consequences. And I like what Taylor and Clendon said in their commentary. Instead, the return for their work had been poor agricultural conditions resulting from failed crops, spiraling inflation accompanied by miserably low incomes. Remember, they put their money in, hole, in a bag with holes in it, and it just came out. Uh, and a standard of living that plunged many of them into despair and depression. So the nation of Israel joyfully returns home they're all excited. They set up a temporary altar. They lay the foundation and they go, okay, now we've had this newfound freedom. We're going to go and build our homes. The problem is they had been home probably 20 to 25 years working on their houses while God's house laid in ruins. And by the way, God dwelt in the temple. So there was no home for God. So of course, God's going to React. I oftentimes wonder, I oftentimes wonder if we miss a blessing and blessings because we are not doing what God calls us to do. And I just wonder how much of a blessing we would get if we just gave our lives to him and said, God, use me. Help me to build your kingdom, to do your work. Well, the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was experiencing this. Now, let's look at this failure for a minute. 
the nation of Israel had gone home. They started working on their houses. Yes, they built temporary altar. But let's talk about failure. Sometimes, sometimes it could be that God wants to see persistence. If you've served in a church or done any work in ministry at all, and I've been at it 33 years now, and the biggest thing for me is that when you're called to do something for God and it seems that you fail, many of you get frustrated in Sunday school and other ministries that you do. You may become frustrated. Sometimes God just maybe wants to see if you're going to stay the course. Never give up. Never quit. Never stop. But sometimes God just wants to see some persistence. Sometimes it could be that we need to stop doing a task. Just because we've done it this way all of our lives doesn't mean we can't change our perspective and way of ministry. We get stuck in a, in a box sometimes. We, and I know the biggest joke in the Baptist churches are we've never done it that way before. Well, sometimes we need to revamp how we do ministry and how we do our work. So sometimes it could mean, wait a minute, God is allowing this to happen so that he changes our focus. But then a third reason, and what the nation of Israel was dealing with at this time, was that sometimes it could be some type of sin or failure on our part why God is not blessing us. Now, this, is, this list could be greatly expanded, but these were some thoughts that came to my mind uh, and usually when these thoughts come to my mind, I write them down on a separate sheet. I have my sermon notes, and then I have application notes. So I don't know which one it is, but I do know for the nation of Israel, it was right here. They were not doing what God told them to do, and of course that does have consequences. Now we go on and we read, Why? Why did we not bring home much? Why are our crops failing? Why is there lack of water? Why is everything that we touch broken? And why does our money not go far enough? Why, declares the Lord of hosts, which, by the way, is used 14 times in these two chapters. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you has busied himself with his own house. You know what this says? Priorities. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is your priority? Is your priority the things of God? Is your priority uh, your own life and your own way and how you, how you want to live your life? Uh, my theology has told me year after year after year that the most important relationship that we have is to him. And my priorities, I'm not saying you can't do things. I'm not saying you can't do your own family stuff and, and all things that go along with that. But ultimately, our priority should be him. He is the one that redeemed us, that paid for us, that set us free like the Persians set the Israelites free. We have been freed by Christ. We have been forgiven. Our sins have been washed away when Jesus died on that cross and we trusted in him as Lord and Savior. So we are now free 
free not to live our own lives our own way, but free to serve him who redeemed us and paid for our sins. And the nation of Israel, you would think after 70 years of captivity, when they went back, they said, let's get busy on God's house. But they did not. Ezra chapter 4 simply states, the work stopped. Mm. And God indicts them right here in these verses. So there is a consequence. There is a consequence. Not, not everything that we do and not everything that goes bad is because of sin. I want you to understand that. Not every, if you're struggling, it may not be the result of sin, but it could be. And in the nation of Israel's life, it was as a result of a known call from God, and they rejected that call. So God responds. God responds. Verses 10 and 11. This is interesting, by, by the way. I'll probably spend 54 minutes right here. <laughs> Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld dew, and the earth has, this is in verse 10, has withheld its produce. And I called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all of their labors. When I look at our world today, I can see this, at least in our culture here in America. And I appreciate what Brother Larry said here. Our nation's in trouble, and it is. It really is. And so there's a lot of parallels here. God was the one that initiated the response to the nation of Israel. They may say, well, you know, it's just climate, climate change. It's just all this stuff going on. But God says, wait a minute. I'm the one that commands the seas and the skies and the stars and the cycles. I do all of that, and I have at my disposal all of these elements that I can use to either bless you or withhold a blessing. And so uh, it, I did an interesting study this week. Sometimes I get, I, I get into the sermon and I, I, I want to know more about the text than I would ever be able to preach. It was interesting what I found about the nation of Israel as it relates to weather. If you look at this chart, which is recent, it's recent. So you can, you can see here this blue. That represents rain. It rains here, and then it rains here. This is roughly five inches, five inches, three inches, about an inch, and then nothing. And then about an inch, and then it starts raining again. So during the critical periods, during the critical period of time, May, June, July, August, September, October, there's no rain. So my question was, after I looked at this, 
was how in the world could anything grow from April to October. And again, you look at the temperatures too. Wow. This is right at 100 degrees in July and August, right at 100. I mean, it gets hot. I personally like those little 60s, 68. You don't need air conditioning. So the question is, if God withheld the rain, he had to have withheld it in December, January, February, March, and, of course, in April, you don't get any rain. So they've planted their crops, and they're getting meager crop returns because during the rainy season, God withheld it. There was something else here, too, that you look at it, and you go, that's not really a big deal, but it is when you look at it. And the heavens above withheld dew. That's interesting. Here's... Here's the deal. Here you have Israel, you have the Gaza Strip, you have the West Bank. That Mediterranean Sea becomes important. And the reason it becomes important is because eastwardly winds blow across that ocean and it produces dew in good amounts, which fall upon the land during those difficult periods of time. And God said, wait a minute. I blew it all away. Did you catch that? I blew it all the way. Instead of the easterly winds that would normally come during the difficult times where the clouds above would produce dew that would be significant enough to keep the crops going, I blew it west. They had missed a blessing. So, of course, you have famine. And by the way, I did some more research on the nation of Israel. It was called the five-year drought, which ended, I think, in 2019. This is what it looked like. Drought conditions. Nothing could grow. And it was five years, just recently, within the last two or three years. So when you look at the word do, you think that's not significant, but it is. Very much in every way. If God suddenly reverses the current in the Mediterranean Sea, the nation of Israel has no dew coming down that will help those plants grow. You've got a catastrophe on your hand. And that's what happened. I don't think, I don't think this was put in there by chance. I blew it away. In other words, God reversed the Mediterranean Sea to blow westward, which is fascinating when you think about it. So that was God's response. I want to remind us this morning that God is not obligated to bless us. Let me say that again. God is not obligated to bless us. He does. He blesses us. Ephesians chapter 1 says, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. But I'm wondering if sometimes in our lives, when we are not living for him, that God withholds and blows it away to get our attention. Think of it this way. The lost world today 
has no use for God until they are at their end of the rope. Very few times in 33 years of ministry have I seen somebody prospering and find the gospel. Usually what happens is the gospel of Jesus Christ is found when you're at the lowest point of your life. And then the truth confronts you and you repent and turn to him. These people were hurting. The nation of Israel was hurting. And it, it, it wasn't because of bad luck. It was because they had said to God, our priorities are us, not you. And that, that's something that we need to be careful of in our own lives. There are times you have to stand for the truth. There are times that uh, things are going to happen in your life. But ultimately, it is always, always, always better to obey him. It is always better to obey him. Then Zerubbabel, say that four times real quick. I bet you you mess it up. Zerubbabel, the son of Shetail, And you remember, Shetail was not the real father. He was the uh, adopted father of Zerubbabel from our last sermon on this. And Joshua, whose name translates Jesus, that was interesting, translates Jesus, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Of course, Jesus is our high priest who lives, ever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that good news? That Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for us? You can maybe not the best theological position to live in, but technically you could accept Christ and not live for him. I don't like to say that because it sounds bad. I've probably shared this before. I remember in, in Bible college in class one day, uh, a man broke down and there's certain days that you remember that stand out from others, and this was one day. We were in Dr. Windsor's preaching class, and all of a sudden, he stood up, and he was crying. He said, for 20 years, God had been calling me to preach. And I had put God off and put God off. Now I am older, tears streaming down his cheeks. And he said, for 20 years, now I'm an older man and I wasted 20 years of my life not doing what God called me to do. And I remember all of us rallying around him, circling him, praying over him. Quite an amazing revelation that he would admit that to his professor and, and students. I just remember... After he said it, his head was down. And we all prayed. We gathered around him. And I think one person in the group, if I remember it correctly, said, Lord, restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, 
Dr. Windsor usually not emotional. He got emotional that day. But at that point, the man acknowledged his failure, his sin, his disobedience. I don't know what happened to him, but I do know that day that God blessed him. And it is always better to obey than not. Trust me. It is always better to obey. This word obey, shama, it has five different meanings. We're going to go through these rather quickly here. It can mean hearing with ears. By the way, I went to the hearing audiologist this week at the VA. She said, can you hear that? And I said, hear what? <laughs> she, she, she looked at me and she said, I said, I know, I know. You get that a lot. That's the old, that's the old uh, ear doctor joke, right? What did you say? Um, it was interesting. I had a hearing aid that I'd had for years. I, I'm not wearing it this morning because it would interfere with my preaching. But I, I got it fixed again. And of course, I'm going back and getting some other hearing aids too. It could mean hearing with the ears. It could mean a contrast. This is Shama. Contrast to being deaf. It could mean to receive news. It could mean that you receive something and understand it. Now we're going to get to the, what I think it is. It means to not only hear... but to submit to authority and do what is required. James says it this way, be not only hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. It's amazing. When I listen to sermons, not mine, I get nervous when I listen to my own sermons. But when I listened to a sermon, I had a joke with Pastor Newt Larson. Many of you know him. He's a friend of mine. I used to tell him when I'd go to the chapel, I would hold up, I would wanted to hold up a sign and say, hit it here. <laughs> it was a big church, 18,000 members. Uh, it's not just enough to listen to a sermon. We have to find out what God is saying to us through the sermon and then take that information and go out this week and live it for him in a world that doesn't know him. That's crucial. Now notice it says that the remnant, that's the Babylonian captivity, they were released. Not everybody that went to the Babylonian captivity came out. But praise be to God, he always has a remnant. This morning, you are part of the remnant of God people of God. Some have gone home to be with him. We are the remnant of his people. They obeyed, they obeyed the voice or the qual of God. Noise which breaks sound waves and enters perception of hearing. Peter Williams writes this about Haggai's sermon, if you will, at least in the chapter one. He writes this, a sermon has been described as being something that is 30 minutes to wake the dead. Wake up! <laughs> wake up, folks! Any, oh, I see a couple of dead ones starting to wake up now. Uh, this is not so far from the truth because effective preaching is not only words, but it is an activity, a deed. 
in which God himself is actively present by his spirit, confronting men and women either to judge or to save. I would add one more, or to communicate. So when I stand up here, or when John next Sunday stands up here, he represents, we represent God. We represent the message of God. It's not that we're better. It's not that we're higher. It's, it's just a calling that God has placed on our lives. And our job, and anybody that fills the pulpit up here, or in pulpits around America, their job is not to spew their own ideologies. Their job is to examine the Word of God so that the Word of God gets in the hearts of His people so that the people can take the Word of God and live it out in their lives. And Haggai is saying, look, Israel, Israel, wake up. Look at what's going on in your life. You know how you got there? You got there because you didn't do what God told you to do. So it's time, and by the way, good news is coming week after next because we get into the better part of this book. But for right now, the nation of Israel has to be dealt with and their sin has to be dealt with. And when you think about Haggai coming along, writing this by the hand, and we talked about that, by the hand of Haggai, that the hand means that Haggai was given the message from God, he, he grabbed it and took it and then wrote it out for us generations later. But he had to preach this. Nation of Israel, look at your houses, look at your land, look at what's happened, look at everything that's going on. You don't have enough money. Why is that? I'll tell you why. And a very popular message at the time, I'm sure. By the way, I didn't say that. God did. So don't knock on my door at night. <laughs> Notice, it was Lottie Dottie and everybody. It was Zerubbabel. It was Joshua. It was the remnant of all the people they obeyed. Notice the change here. I made a, I made a few notes and I put hearts all over it. Watch this. Notice, they obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. Do you remember a couple of sermons ago when God said, in fact, in, verses, in chapter 1, verse 2, these people. Do you remember that? God didn't call them his people. He said, these people say that it's not time to rebuild the temple of God. These people. That's God. That's Yodehave. That's Yahweh. That's Elohim. That's all the names of God is saying to the nation of Israel, these people, they're not my people. My people don't act like this. And now we're on the precipice of repentance. And what the what this scripture says is, they obeyed the voice of their God. The relationship is instantaneously changed. Repentance will always bring renewal. Repentance will always bring renewal. And by the way, repentance will also bring forgiveness. For those of you that may be watching that aren't here,
That is all that is required. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, and you've reached the end of your rope, all it takes is to say, Lord, I have sinned. I ask forgiveness of that sin, and I invite you into my heart. And at that moment, and at that moment, not next week, not when you attend church, not when you get baptized, at that moment, you are saved. I still think of that cancer victim that I visited years ago. 45 minutes before he died, I make my way on a snowy night to his bed He was the same one that told me, leave your Bible. And I'll never forget making my way through his family to his bed, getting on his bed and saying, I know you can't say this. I know you can't speak, but I want you to just squint your eyes and you repeat after me. And I led him in the sinner's prayer. In 45 minutes, I stayed there and he passed away 45 minutes. But I'm going to tell you something. That man squinted his eyes twice each time I asked him, and that man is in the kingdom of heaven. This is all about a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ. I don't like the word religion because religion can conjure up all kinds of things. Christ is a relationship. He is not a religion. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know what true repentance does? They had listened to God. And in the case of listening to God, they took it in and they said, you know what, God? You're right. We sinned. We messed up. Not only do we do acknowledge that, we're going to repent of that sin. This is always, 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 always what happens. Anytime you go to God, think of it this way. You just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I sinned, I messed up. It's done, it's forgiven, it's finished. That's all, that's all it is. And sometimes we get so stubborn that we just won't admit that we've made mistakes before God. God's always standing willing and ready. And by the way, there is nobody too far gone that cannot be saved. Anybody can be saved. If you've got a lost person today, and what I think true repentance looks like is what Haggai says next. He talks about reverence. They listened, they obeyed, they repented, and from that came reverence. With all the remnant, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai. So I'm your preacher, obey this please. The prophet, as the Lord their God, that's twice they've mentioned it, had sent him. And the people feared 
the Lord. If you read that just a casual reading, you you get the idea that they're they're fearful. God's God's going to get me around every corner. You know, there's Christians that live like that. Hey, when you've been freed from the cross, you've been freed to go live for him and love him. It's a love relationship from that point forward. Yes, he can chastise you. Yes, he can, he can cause you all kinds of problems. But we don't live our lives in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So there's two ways to look at this. Yare, that's the word here, feared, Yare. In one sense, it means to be terrified. Sometimes that may be good, but that's not where we should live. That's not where we should live. I want you to know this morning, not in a Joel Osteen type way, but I want you to know this morning that God loves you. This is forever the symbol of God's love. That's why I like the Baptist church. You have right to the altar, the preaching of the word of God and the cross and baptism. That's a theological statement. I want you to realize this morning that if you're in Christ, he loves you. You are not a second class citizen. You are loved by God. Sometimes you have children. They don't do the way you want them to do, but that doesn't mean you don't love them. You continue to love them, and God continues to love you. It can also mean, Yahweh can also mean to show reverence. And that's what's used here. The people realized how wonderful and marvelous God is. They heard the message of the prophet. They heard his words. They were pierced to their hearts. They obeyed in the sense of repenting. And then from that repentance leads a reverence and awe for God. Isn't God wonderful? Some people live their lives in fear. There are times when sin causes this. It's like the hound of heaven hounding you. But on a whole, we should not be terrified of God. I put three hearts on this, so this is big. We demonstrate our love for God by our obedience. Do you know love and doing what God requires is throughout Scripture? Did you know that? I'm just going to give you one, John 15. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, love and being obedient to God go hand in hand. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
the way that we show God that we love him and that he's had a huge impact in our lives is by being obedient. And one of the first steps in the downward spiral of our own spiritual walk is by being disobedient. How many of you have done what God has told you every time? I, I better put my hand down. I haven't done it either. But there is a connection between love and what we do. Those of you that are married, you have a spouse. Do you do, maybe the, I, I wrote down, be careful because it could become a joke. Do you do what you do for your spouse because you're terrified or because you love them? (laughs) Could be. (laughs) I can't do that. My wife would not be happy. (laughs) But you do what you do for your spouses because you love them. Yeah, I said be careful. That could become a joke, and it did, but. Let me say this. Do a heart check this morning. I can't answer this for you. I can only pose it. How's your heart with him this morning? 